This is Think Like a Genius. Tread the line of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, and so much more than gray matter. Let's dive in as we fall into a world of intrigue. And now, Think Like a Genius with your host, Lance Fantanar. Declan, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. It's uh, actually, what's it, 10 o'clock in the morning your time in New York, is it? Uh, it's actually about, I think, coming up on 4 o'clock now, or 3.30, actually, yeah. Uh, AM or PM? PM. <laughs> I've got my uh, hours completely uh, out of whack over there. So, Tell me a bit more about yourself and what you're involved in, and then what we'll do is we'll we'll talk a bit more about the neuroscience. Uh, it's going to get a bit of introduction for people about who you are and what you are, and then we can uh, talk a bit about the gamification and also some of the other topics like flow states uh, and also the, the neuroscience, which we're going to delve into some more. I guess uh, my Forrest Gump story is sometimes what we, we call it. You know, so I, I basically worked for years in operations and about you know, sales support operations, analytics. And I was always kind of drawn to sales. And about 10 years ago, I made the jump and I started working in sales and, you know, learning best practices. I worked at, you know, some of the top Fortune 500 companies to get their training and worked at other places as well. And, you know, every place where I went, I learned best practices from some of the top performers basically within that company. And, you know, always looking for best practices. I've always been interested in psychology, neurochemistry, and basically they all dovetail and work together pretty great. You know, there's just certain things that you actually have a great sale where you feel that everything was clicking. And then, you know, you work with some that, you know, also study psychology and as it relates to sales, when you kind of figure out when you kind of explain the elusive obvious and why that sale and why your techniques work like they really do, it's really gratifying and just helps you that much better at your craft of sales, which isn't, I know sales gets a bad rap as just convincing people to, you know, buy stuff that they don't necessarily need. But I feel like it is more just being a genuine communicator and being very consultative. Mm -hmm. So with that, you know, I, I then, you know, worked at some startups. I helped take some companies off the ground to, raising a few million dollars to really help get into a space, which is very challenging, having no brand recognition, you know, as a salesperson. So the challenge of that was very fun. And then I took that experience and what we most recently got into, started my own firm, recruiting firm, and we specialize in those in the revenue centric roles, be it sales, marketing operations, figure with my experience in sales, it helps me really pick out the best ones and just really helps tie it all together. So that's kind of a general overview of my experience. But through those years, I've actually taken some things. Uh, I've structured my day, my emails, everything, you know, as it relates to neurochemistry. And one of the things I've actually structured my day to actually use neurochemistry and the reactions that it gets to do certain things to, you know, really build momentum and really optimize my day in terms of productivity and efficiency. So that's kind of the high level. Just to pick up on the neurochemistry side and the psychology side, how did you first become interested in that? What was the trigger? What was the, the, the first, you could say, little aha moment that, that made you sit up and take note of it? I'd say someone had given me a book, someone that I was in training with about uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, mm -hmm. talking about how certain people are wired certain ways. Basically, some people are more visual, some people are more audio, some more kinetic, 
So if you really match your speech to if you can identify the person you're speaking to as being a certain type, for instance, you might say, hey, I feel where you're coming from for the more kinetic. I see where you're coming from for the more visual. And noticing that little cues like that just makes you that much more effective at communicating. It seemed crazy to me, but I actually tried it out on a few meetings and and pitches that I had, and I was really blown away that it really was very effective. So that really um, set me down the path of learning a little bit more. And, you know, when I was in college, actually, I was very interested in one of my favorite classes was in psychology, advanced psychology. Mm -hmm. So then when I went to the sales world and I saw uh, that book on NLP and I saw that some of the very, as it relates to them, elementary techniques, um, as it related, uh, really started making me effectively sell more. And obviously when I'm selling more, I'm making more. And, um, you know, you couple that with a strong interest in that, it kind of led me down the path of learning, learning more about that. With regards to the NLP uh, techniques that you uh, referenced, you mentioned about seeing, hearing the, the visual and audio learning and responses. How do you identify that in a person? You can actually tell by how they talk. They actually use cues and they might say something, hey, I feel, I see you can actually see that and then you kind of mirror their language. If you see them saying, I see or I hear where you're coming from, I see where you're coming from, I feel where you're coming from, those are very easy cues to find out where they really come from. But then, you know, it's also other things. To see, you can also test to see if you are. I mean, it's also very interesting that you notice a lot of people do this very subconsciously, Mm -hmm. uh, that when you actually really feel that you've got a connection, you've got a rapport with someone, you actually start mimicking what they're doing. So what really caught me off guard was I started talking more in their language and, uh, you know, saying, I see where you're coming from, using a lot more visual angled words Mm -hmm. to speak to the people I was speaking to. And then by the time I felt myself a rapport, I would notice I would put my pen down or I would, I would lift my arm gently. And then almost without cue, they started basically mimicking almost what I was doing. Also, you know, very unconsciously doing so. But I was actually really amazed to see if you actually have a general rapport with someone. The, the easiest way is they subconsciously start to, to cue and kind of mimic exactly what you're doing. How long does it take between the... You could say the, the mimicking starting and the, you could say once you've you set up the rapport. Oh, you could do it almost like instantly, which was really surprising. In fact, this one example, when I kind of started this, I, I worked with someone that was having a hard time uh, closing a deal with someone in particular, and they just could not get on the same page. There was just kind of a friction there. And I kind of came in thinking, hey, maybe I can actually help out in this regard. And I kind of use some of those techniques. And I noticed, you know, they introduced themselves. There was just reading body language. You could see that their arms were crossed. We're just not really vibing with the person that came in. There Mm -hmm. wasn't, they didn't detest them. There just wasn't a connection. Mm -hmm. I basically went in, listened to their conversation. I found, I couldn't remember looking back then, but I started communicating to them in, you know, their main language. If Mm -hmm. it was going to be, if they're more visuals, just say, hey, I see where you're coming from. And I use very visual types of words and they picked up to me very quickly. And through that, you know, where their arms were folded, reading their body language, next thing you know, I noticed that they're mimicking almost exactly what I was doing from posture to movements to everything like that. So you can actually see it happens very quickly. 
you'd almost think that someone's going to notice that they're doing so, but they never do. So, I mean, anyone doesn't have to be in a work setting. It could be in a social setting. You'll notice if you're actually getting along with someone that's, you know, unconsciously, they're actually going to start mimicking gestures and everything like that. So I take it this is also the, the important aspect is being very aware of other person in the situation that you're in and picking up on a lot of the subtle cues, but also mm-hmm. being aware and listening very listening very carefully to what they say, the inflections and the language that they use and also their, their tone and then changing and, and reacting accordingly. Exactly. Just, you know, it, it seems very counterintuitive, a lot of things that do work, but once you kind of do understand what it is, I just say, breathe, just be in the moment, pick up on those things, don't think too far ahead. And very much kind of like driving a car. When you first drive a car, you know, you have to, you're very focused in on, hey, I have to put this into drive and it's going to do this. And then, you know, you've got a few years of experience. Once you get in, you're next thing you're having whole drives and kind of lap, you do all this stuff second nature. So in mm. time, once you kind of learn those techniques, you, you start doing it automatically anyway. But I just don't think when it comes to being on a sales pitch, no matter what your experience, essentially just be in the moment and you're going to do fine. It also comes down to having empathy with the other person and having their perspective in mind because that also does make it a lot easier. A hundred percent. I mean, you'll see that now there's studies, if you want to look up there, there's a lot of companies that are encouraging a lot of people to meditate for that reason, because Mm -hmm. it helps them slow down, helps them build empathy or feel empathy a lot more. And the better the empathy, the better you're able to put yourself into their shoes and communicate better what their internal needs and desires are, and then communicating what might be the best. When you come down to it, all sales is to be able to ask the right question, find out what their problems or objectives are, and just connecting the dots between what you do and how you can help them achieve that or overcome that problem. That's it at like you know a simple level. But by doing that, you really have to kind of slow down, not have preconceived notions, what you, what you think it is, but really just slow down and listen and be able to empathize. And that's that's more than half the battle. So a lot of that also falls into various of the biases about personal biases and, and trying to put your personal biases and views and beliefs to one side and making sure you you look at what their requirements are and what the other person's reactions are and how they feel about it all. Oh, 100%. I, in fact, like a quick story, I actually have a, a close personal friend of mine, very well-to-do, extremely well-to-do actually went into a Mercedes dealership and a salesperson. And I tell this all my junior people all the time, salesperson came over and, and started talking about, yeah, this was, this is great. You know, the affluence and, you know, the status and everything like that. And the person ended up just getting frustrated and walking out. Mm. And little did they know that if you met this person on the street, even though they have tons of money that they can buy and sell you over, did not care about the prestige, did not mm. care about the status, was the last thing, simply wanted it because uh, Mercedes, well, at least at the time, were built to last about 30 years, uh, was more interested in the German engineering. And if that salesperson had gone in and asked the question, what is it that you like about Mercedes, and just matched their pitch to that, it would have been a much better outcome. <laughs> yeah. Probably would have ended up getting a deal there on the spot. I've heard a, a similar story as well of 
a guy that's the same thing, he's an entrepreneur, and he, he walked in his dream car at that stage was the Mazda, Mazda uh, what's it, mm-hmm. MX, MX-8, or it's one of the sports models, and he he basically walked in, and the, the salesman was trying to do the same thing, you know, this is the kind of car, these are the technical specs and everything. I said, no, I want to buy the car. It's like, do you want the standard model? It's, you know, it's a bit cheaper. You don't want it. And he said, no, just, I want to buy the car. It's like, just give me the car. <laughs> and this guy was still <laughs> trying to sell on the technical specs and the various other bits and, and trying to present the car in a way. And, and he wasn't paying attention to what the guy was saying. He's like, I've got the money. I don't care about the cheaper one. I want the best of this model. I want this. And the manager came up across and, you know, he picked up on it and he said, okay, what would you like? We've got this. It's a bit more, you know, it's a bit better. It's got this. It's got these extra things on it. And it's like, okay, fine. Let's do the deal. You know, 30 minutes later, everything was signed off and done. But it came came down to the, the fact of listening to what the other per- person wants instead of, what you perceive the other person wants. And that's where a lot of the biases fit into how you perceive the other person. And that can put you in a very difficult position because you don't really, you're not being aware of what the other person's needs and requirements are. Yeah. Now, the we came across each other while doing the Flow Genome Project Fundamentals course. For people listening and not aware of it, Flow Genome Project is a course which was set up by Jeremy Wheel and Steve Kotler, which who wrote Rise of Superman and oh, it's Stealing Fire, isn't it? It basically talks about flow states within extreme and top athletes, but also top performers and getting into what a lot of people are, fun, uh, are more aware of as, as the zone being in that very highly capable and functional and creative state where you could literally be the best version of yourself. So I picked up on some of the posts that you made and the the mentions about some of the the neuroscience and the cognitive aspects and the psychological aspects. What brought you to the Flow Genome Project and how are you tying that into your day-to-day work and also life the flow genome project that yeah it's been very interesting to me in fact i learned about the flow state through some executive coaches that i met in my business and told them about some of the techniques that i use and obviously it piqued my interest because of my interest in neuroscience psychology instantly i was drawn to it and when i told them about some of my techniques they said you're probably practicing some flow things and you don't even realize it one of the things that I do is I structure my day. A few years back, and you still hear a little bit about it now, especially as it relates to Facebook, social media, um, people gamifying their solutions. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a reason behind it because by doing certain things, you essentially, and I think one of the names of the company that gamifies certain things is called Dopamine Labs, if I remember right. And I think that's basically what they do. So a few years ago, when I first got into sales, I worked for you know basically a Fortune 100 company that was very renowned for their sales training program. I mean, I took a huge cut in salary to take it just for the training because they're known for that. And one of the things that they do is you know they find out all the Pinnacle Award winners, president of clubs, and they find out basically what their best practices are so then they can 
you know, chunk them down and share them with everybody else throughout the country. And they implement that as part of the training program. Now, one of the techniques that one of the, the top salespeople in the country had used was they used a point system on a daily basis. So talking about sales, you know, so you have to make some phone calls, which are always painful, especially when they're cold. You have to go out, knock on some doors, collect business cards, uh, drop proposals. So basically what they did was they would say, okay, you get one point for every email that you send. You get one point for every business card that you get. You get two points for every contract you send out. Whatever basically it is, so this person would not go home on a daily basis until they got 150 points a day. They could get it any of its various ways. And I thought that was really interesting. I tried it at my time there. It was somewhat effective. But the problem is when you just do the point system like they do it, it just feels like a daily quota. I know here in the U.S., there's that Dunkin' Donuts commercial every day that guy woke up, time to make the donuts. And every day you're kind of living in a groundhog day. You have to get up to 150 points. And I liked it, but after about two weeks, it started getting very repetitive and very dull and boring and, in fact, quite depressing. So a few years later, I had learned about how a lot of people were gamifying, you know, adding badges and how usability went up and essentially it becomes addictive. So basically, I just took that system and I built something into it. So for Granted, and you can wait this, it's very easy to come up with your own gamification system for every email or phone call you did or sent, it was one point. However, for every response you get, uh, you get two points. So basically what it does is it incentivizes you not just to go through the motions and do the activity just to get through the day, but it stimulates your creativity by finding ways to get results because you get points on the results that you get. So it's like, I sent out 10 emails and I got no responses. Okay. That's 10 points. I sent out 10 emails and I got five responses. That's an additional 10 points. That's 20 points. Let's just say your day is to get to a hundred before you can call it a day. So what that does is it actually makes it more of a game. And I just say it comes up with creative ways. If I write a catchy email, I'm going to get more reward points. And what I found myself was, and a lot of people don't realize, sales is really a grind. You're rejected 99% of the day, and it's, it could be really depressing. What I found was every time I got a response, I got more points. So basically, it made my day into a game. It also made my day a lot more efficient because not all activities created differently. I could do lead gen for maybe a point, or I could hop on the phone or email and get two points for the same thing. So another thing, what I found was, and I don't know, depending on where I worked, anywhere from 100 to 150 points a day, would not be able to call it a day un until that was the case. But the interesting thing that I found is you really get momentum. We all wake up in the morning and we have a hard time getting going. And I said, oh, if I only get to 25 points, it's going to be brutal. What I found was by the time I hit a certain point, I started building up that next thing. I was struggling to get 150 points. And would call it a day. Next thing you know, I'm finishing the day at 220 points just because I feel so good and I can't stop. Mm -hmm. Now, looking into flow, they talk about to get into that flow state, there's a certain sequence and amount of the brain chemicals that you actually use, be it dopamine being one of them. So essentially what I found out what I was doing was by doing this gamification system, not only was I making the grind more addictive, it helped me kind of burst through the uh, monotony and actually made the monotonous 
treachery of doing a sale and i actually made the grind kind of addictive made it into a game and the beauty thing was at the end of the day was my girlfriend at the time would ask hey how was your how was your day today i could say hey it's great I had a 115% day. So I can actually quantify what my day was. And I think, especially a lot of those in the sales profession, they're always worried at the end of the day if they had done enough to actually call it a day and not have to worry. By the time by quantifying and putting uh, something in place on it, like actually quantifying it physically, I could easily just say at the end of the day, hey, I did everything I was going to do today. I got to these points and I can actually turn off and actually relax and knowing that I did everything I need to do that day to, to get to that point. So no, I threw a lot at you there, but that's kind of like a high level of what we did and had great effects to it. I started doing it. My f- people on my team started doing it. And uh, I can tell you a quick case study is uh, I had my team do it. The morale improved greatly because people were concentrating on the activity and not the results. And within a matter of like four months, we were actually by far the top performing team or the next sales team uh, selling the same products were about a third of the revenue what we were. So That's quite interesting. There's a couple of things which I think we could explore a bit more because the, the whole gamification thing and the dopamine reward system that's built in, you also, you also get the positive feedback loop which gets built into the whole process because as you get a point you get a positive feedback which gets a bit of a dopamine kick and then it's a self-replicating process of building intrinsic motivation and then builds up you could say the momentum to to carry on and the mm-hmm. other thing from doing the flow Genium project is that when you get into that momentum and that state the, you also get become a lot more creative because you you actually feel good about what you're doing which means you start thinking about, ah, you know, this guy was mentioned he liked this or he was talking about this was the problem he's trying to solve. And you start becoming a lot more versatile in your approach to actually dealing with other people. And that probably ties into your other previous points where you were talking about active listening and also using NLP and then listening to their language and their voice and how they react and what they're saying. And then that ties into the whole process and actually getting that, you could say, more of a coherent and complete communication through to the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also makes them be more in the moment. They're playing the game as if in their, they're in the moment. So I think automatically it makes them slow down. And I, I just say, I mean, opportunity costs. It also has, especially with a lot of junior salespeople I had, nothing. They just didn't have the experience and they just did not know how to manage their time most effectively. And not all activities created equally. So essentially what we would do is we would wait the activity and they just made the best use of their time. So when I onboarded salespeople, it's highly effective for that, that they definitely get the most use out of their day by kind of making it to a game and knowing, hey, what's my best way to get to the most points today? And also a little a little thing that's built into it. And this is quite... Let's just say you you set a weekly goal where, for instance, we do now 750, 150 points a day on a five-day work week. Uh, Once you hit 750, if you want to take off and enjoy, take off early on a Friday and kind of wind down, you could do it guilt-free. You got your points on a week. You got you more creative. So we often do that now. If you get into your 750 points, take off for the rest of the week if you'd like because you've done that activity that's going to drive you that way. Another thing to, instead of individual, we tie this into 
a team goal. Mm -hmm. So we're all trying to get to our 150 a day. What we also do is we roll this up and we do team totals. And when we hit certain team totals, we have, you know, short term, which could be on the daily basis, midterm, and then long term. So say, let's just say the team collectively accumulates 10,000 points. Hey, we have a company happy hour. Or I also think it's very good to give yourself personal rewards. It's like when I do 300 points this week, I'm going to treat myself to such and such. Hey, when you do 8,000 points, maybe you treat yourself to a deep tissue massage, mm-hmm. something like that. I think it always gives you something to work for. So even when you blow through that 750, maybe there's another reward that you can do. And what I found is it just makes you an unstoppable machine. You're motivated. You're concentrating on the good activity to drive results. You're happier because you're constantly getting shots of dopamine. If you also make it a, a team objective, everyone's working together giving each other best practices so they can achieve their personal goals. And it's just a lot more cohesiveness on the team and people helping out each other, especially on a sales floor where sometimes without having that, you have people, even though they're on the same team, competing in a not so constructive way. It really turns that around on its head and everybody wins and everyone's way happier. So, Taking that concept of the gamification, how would you structure that if you are starting out as a novice or somebody who wants to get some structure in their day, what's, what's a basic template that you would suggest to people to use? Good question. So obviously I'm te- speaking from the sales aspect of it, but there's certain things that people have to do on a daily basis. So I say you, you itemize out what you do on a daily basis or what you need to do on a daily basis to, I'm trying to think, uh, like if you're a marketer, Let's just say if you're a marketer, you're a content marketer, for every page of original content that you do, you do 10 points. For every um, time you publish a new article, maybe you get 20 points. For every time somebody likes your article on social media, which is another thing I like to do, you get five points. So when you break that down, list out all those activities you have to do on a daily basis, then go through and assign point values to what would be what you find the most valuable and do it corresponding, which isn't near as hard as it sounds. Mm -hmm. If you have any problem with that, think of like what a good day was. Think back to a day of what you did was super productive and then figure out how many points and then you can reverse engineer it. Hey, look, I did 10 points. I mean, I did, I wrote 10 pages. That's a point a page on that certain day. And I was able to do that knowing that your optimal day, a day when you're clicking all cylinders, it's a 200 point day. Mm. Okay, you're not always going to get that. So then you back into that and you do, what's it going to take for me on an average day to get to 150? What is, a, or 100, or 150? But basically go out there, itemize it, assign point totals depending on how good the activity is, and then go back and find way reward points. How are you usually rewarded by that if you're a mer- We had an interruption in the call and the recording, which meant that I lost a lot of the following conversation, which Declan was expanding a lot more on this topic. We are discussing the spreadsheet and how he uses it on a day-to-day basis, and we have to schedule a secondary call to go into the detail of the spreadsheet a bit more. I will schedule a second interview with Declan to follow up on all of the finer details and find out if the spreadsheet will be publicly available for people to share and learn from. Okay. It's, uh, I think it might have been on my end. Uh, I apologize for that. Did uh, did I? I don't know where I cut off. Um, 
just as you were talking through the process of the templates, how we structure it with uh, the content marketing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I started to meander a bit anyway. So it was like uh, we're trying to think about it all on there. Like I think when I was talking about, well, for instance, if you're an internet marketer, depending on what activities you do on a daily basis, you know, you kind of build out accordingly. So that's fine. I like the the meander because it was very interesting to hear how you would structure it. And it was, I could pull out a lot of very valuable points about it because some of the things that I work on, it's either project related or it's Mm -hmm. day-to-day tasks. So it's a juxtaposition of duties and and various tasks that I need to do. And the the whole structure of the point system is very useful, the way that you were building it out. The other thing that I was uh, just thinking out uh, thinking about is uh, as you structured or when you break out your task do you just have something simple like a spreadsheet where you break it down you break down your task and you start structuring your point systems according to that or you do you use anything more advanced? no i just use right now i use a basic uh, spreadsheet but i think i might have sent you over if not i could send it over to you. i i sent over a spreadsheet that for every time i do something i mark it and then it counts towards my daily goal. Like so, for instance, like today, right now, I was doing it today for 150 points on a Friday. I do it on a weekly basis, so like I always try to hit to like 160 to 175 on a Monday. But I right mm-hmm. now I'm at like 120 points. So basically, we'll say, oh, you're 75 percent of goal. So it rolls it up, and it also gives me on a weekly basis where I plug and play five days of the work week on it, where I do reward points. That's one of the things I do. It's like also I get people like an article that I wrote, which uh, that's me working on my personal brand. So I get a point for that. When people connect to me on LinkedIn, I get a point for each person. So basically by the end of today, I know that, well, I need about 40 more points to get to 150 where I can actually take the day off. Or well, another thing that I do is like, let's just say my nephew has like a game today that's cutting into time. doesn't really matter. I can stop today at 130 or 120 points, and then I can just make up the points the rest of the week. So it also gives you that flexibility and know you don't get too caught up in it. Yeah, that's just kind of like the the overall gist of it. There's something else which you mentioned. I was just checking my emails. It doesn't look like uh, I've got any attachments that you sent through. Just getting back to my previous point, the other thing that you mentioned which I found quite interesting is that when you finish at the end of the day, you, you're talking about quantifying, being able to mm-hmm. quantify things and also being able to have that idea of, I think it, it also creates a sense of achievement, but the whole quantification part of it is also a cognitive and a, a psychological aspect to it because the the clarity of the process that you've built out, but also the goal that you need to achieve or the, or the function you need to perform, the brain is very difficult in understanding and processing vague statements or any Mm -hmm. kind of vague concept so by structuring it the way that you've done is you've created a lot of clarity in your mental processes of what needs to be done how it needs to be done and it gives the brain a lot of things which it can start automating because you've I don't know how much you know about explicit and implicit thinking or thought process. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, explicit is, is your, if I remember this correctly, explicit is your slow analytical thinking, the very methodical, heavy thinking. It's, it's very mentally taxing because you have to work through it first time. It's like building out your 
your process the first time, your gamification process. It took a lot of thought, it took a lot of planning, it takes a lot of mental energy to work through it. That's a very explicit thinking example. Implicit thinking is where it's automated, where you've built up the processes, you've got all the various systems that you've built out, and it becomes a, a faster automated process, and that starts kicking a lot of the you could say the the speed and the the improvements in functions, their mental functions, it makes it a, a lot easier to process that information. So the other aspect is where you've got the clarification is because you've got a very clear idea of how you want to function. The brain can actually process that a lot easier, and that makes the whole section a lot easier to function and to for the brain to work through very easy so why don't we do this because i got a call in another half hour so i know we got kind of the first half of that why don't i send you over a copy of the gamification system that i use you can yeah. play around with it and then even as soon as tomorrow at some point in the next week it might help for you to look at it and kind of conceptualize it and then we could kind of maybe what i could do is i can have a more of um gives a little bit more thought on like something outside of sales and I can give a little bit more of a coherent answer. And then I think that, okay, no, that let's sounds have good. A, let's, uh, let's have another catch up with that. And then what I can do is I can work things uh, from my perspective and then we can delve into it a bit more, a bit Great. deeper. No, that sounds good. When you support and review a podcast like this from someone like Lance, it gains more visibility and motivates him to produce more. What topics most interest you? The best topic gains a shout out on the podcast.